Okay, let's have a look at a uh, an interesting discussion within Parashat Kitavo. We're going to look at uh, the concept of the unique covenant that was uh, made just before Am Yisrael entered into Eretz Yisrael um, and try and understand its relationship to the covenant that was already created uh, long before we get to crossing over into Eretz Yisrael. So there are really two covenants or two representations of a covenant that exists between Amishal and Hashem. And the second Brit, um, which is refer, we can refer to it as, as uh, Brit Arvot Moav, um, this covenant is the subject of this week's Sedra. That's where it's, the, it's developed. And we need to understand its relationship to the very first one where Hashem had a Brit with us at Sinai already. Um, yeah, so in principle, let's have a look at this through uh, a chidush that we can find in the writings of the Gaon of Vilna, uh, introduces us to the topic as follows. Uh, the Midrash, the Midrash Halakha, the Sifri, in Parshat Re'ei, uh, distinguishes between two parshiot describing Sfirat uh, Omer. The Pasuk there says, Shiva Shavuot Isporlach, seven weeks you shall count for yourself. And that, 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 that describes a mitzvah that really we understand to be on the shoulders of the Beis Dinagadol. They're the ones who perform this mitzvah for all of us. Shiva Shavuot is Polach. That's a unique mitzvah. Uh, that mitzvah is different from Usfatim Lachem, Sheva Shabbatot, Tispiru Chamishim Yom. That's a count that's performed by each and every individual. Um, as, as far as Sfirat Omer is concerned. So there are two different, there are two psukim referring to this count of seven weeks, but they phrase differently. Um, and that is that the, 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 the so-called um, expression of the pasuk, uh, the lashon of the pasuk is either in the singular or the plural. So when it talks to the Beisdin, that they have a chiyuv to count Sheva Shavuot, it says Tispor Lach, in, the, in singular. And when it talks to us about Svirat Omer, it talks to us in the language of, of plural. So this is the a question as to why this is true. And it's almost counterintuitive. When you talk about uh, a singular, it would be one person. Uh, that would be intuitive. And, and in the Lachem would be the plural. But yeah, the Gaon sort of tells us that Whenever mitzvah is repeated in the Torah, once in the singular and once in the plural, the singular form is addressed to Klal Yisrael, because Klal Yisrael represent a whole unit, while the plural form devolves upon uh, the individual. So yeah, it's interesting that the Beit in Hagadol, which represents Klal Yisrael, uh, in, in, you know, discharges the obligation upon Klal Yisrael as a whole. So when they count, when the Beit in count seven weeks from Pesach until Shavuot, and what they're doing is, is that they're representing all of us as a tzibur, as one, as a, as a unit. Uh, the reason this, the mitzvah, um, you know, sort of is, the, uh, is incumbent upon the Sanhedrin is that by counting every day from Pesach, you establish the correct day for Shavuot, which is part of the more general mitzvah of, uh, you know, Kirush HaChodesh, Taluach, you know, creating a calendar. That's the, that's the nature of the mitzvah of counting 
that is performed by uh, the Sanhedrin. Uh, now, the, the second aspect of the mitzvah, um, which we read about in Pashat Emor, there, that second aspect is for every individual should also count the seven weeks from Pesach to, to, to Shavuot. Um, and yeah, when we look at the uh, when we look at the so-called um, you know difference between the plural and the singular as being referred to, um, the singular will refer to uh, the the so-called Kal Yisrael in totality, and um, and Shiva Shavuot is is one body, the body of the of the Beis Now, the Gaon basically uh, applies this rule. And uh, he applies it to the our sedra, the two the two parashiot that are in our, um, you know, the parashiot of the tochacha that are found in at the end of Sefer Vayikra in Parashat Bechukotai, and the curses, the tochacha that's found in um, in Sefer Devarim as well. Now there you have a similar scenario where the tochacha in Bechukotai um, was pronounced as part of the discussion or part of the covenant of Mamar Sinai after the Aseret had he brought, you know, then that, that you know, these are the decrees, etc., uh, that Hashem gave and made into a covenant between between himself and Am Yisrael on Sinai. Uh, so that's the first Brit that we have. And uh, that first Tochacha is part of that Brit of of, of Har Sinai. Um, now, there's a, a second elaborate tochacha in Aparsha, Parsha Kitavo, and that represents a, another Brit, a second Brit. As the Pasuk uh, that ends the whole litany of curses uh, states as follows Eile Divraya Brit, Asher Tiva Hashem et Moshe, Yechrot et Ben Israel Beretz Moav, Milvada Brit, Asher Karat Itam Bechorev. Uh, it's clear from the from the Torah itself, the actual translation of the words, that this is a Brit, a second Brit, which is contracted between um, Amishal and Hashem Milvad, beside the the Brit, which um, which are made with them, says Hashem, you know, at uh, at Har Sinai. So it's clear that there's a second Brit over here, and the Gaon makes the point that there's a difference between the two curses, the consideration of not living up to the, the various covenants um, in, in Pasha Bechukotai, the Tochacha over there is expressed in the plural form in Bechukotai Teichu if you follow my decrees etc. When Pasha Kitavo you know the the in the singular is in the singular and so we therefore understand that the Tochacha in Bechukotai is speaking to every individual Yid. As opposed to in Kitavo, the, the entire Tzibur, you know, is, is, uh, is, is spoken to. Um, now, the Pasuk at the beginning of Parshat Mitzavim, you know, explains to us why another Brit, uh, why another um, covenant was needed at Arut Moav, uh, to obligate Am Yisrael in, in mitzvot over and above what happened, you know, at uh, at Sinai. So the pasuk the pasuk tells us actually in the Torah itself, I'm not I'm not doing making this covenant with 
you alone. Um, you know, it's 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 uh, it's more than that. I'm going to make the bridge with those who are standing here today, and those who are not with us today. So the Gemara Masechet Shvuot Lametet explains that that the original uh, covenant, the original Brit at Sinai, was made only with the people alive at that time. You know, not not for future generations. We have a we have an idea that all the neshamas of Bnei Israel were present at our Sinai, and uh, so that every neshama would be affected by the revelation, the Gilushchina. You know, and uh, as the pasuk tells us, you know, Akush Baruch Hu tells Moshe Rabbeinu, "Vavur tia yirato al penechem levioltitechetahu," so that the the yirat shamayim, the fear, the reverence, the awe of Akush Baruch Hu, you know, tia yirato al penechem shall be on your faces, levioltitechetahu. That'll stop you from from sinning. So there is this midrash. There's this idea based. The Gemara talks to us about it that uh, the it was true that all of Klal Israel were really at Sinai, but some were in physical form and some were, you know, just as Neshomas. Uh, and and it was and, and there was such an impact made upon the Neshomas of Klal Israel and Har Sinai that it has effect throughout all the generations. Every Neshoma that was there, you know, had had, had developed or, or um, you know became a certain uh, you know DNA, a certain spiritual DNA. So that what the, the kind of Gomorrah that uh, you know uh, talks to this concept is the Gomorrah like in the Gomorrah Yevamot. The Gomorrah Yevamot Ein Tet tells us that Am Yisrael are Rachmanim Baishanin Gomlei Chasadim, people who are who are compassionate to Baishanin, you know, who are who are bashful Gomlei Chasadim, people who are kind. So you know the the that that Gomorrah tells us, and it's Paskin in Shulchan like this. Uh, to the extent that if one is lacking these midot, we you have to check a person's lineage, uh, for he may not have been present at our Sinai if he violates this this midah of uh, this set of midot. Rachmanim Baishanim Gomlei Chasadim. But but notwithstanding this agadata that, that all of the nesham were present at Har Sinai, but from a halachic legal point of view, how do you make a as a Brit made when you're not physically there? Um, how's that lost? That, 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 that there's no such din as a Brit like that. A Brit is with people who are there, but to make uh, you know, that's that's and that's what the Brit of Har Sinai is all about. It's 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 not it's not legally binding on on an ashama, it's only legally binding on a person. So, so we today we would not in we would not be obligated to observe the mitzvot, um, were it not for the second Brit at Moab, at Arvot Moab. And, and this is the uniqueness of this second Brit. It was this Brit which obligated the future generations. That's the difference. Brit Sinai was specifically for that time, and Brit Moab is uh, all future generations uh, of Jews are, are part of this covenant, part of this Brit, you know, to keep Torah, etc. Now, the question is, why did you need such a, why is there such a difference? You know, um, why do you need these two different Britot? Now, um, the understanding behind it is, is that you, before you can make a Brit that's bonding on future generations, you, ha you have to have a, an entity that first exists before you can 
create a Brit that has implications on it. So you've got to you got to create clearly Israel first. So you can only expect Jews in future generations to be bound by an earlier Brit if there first exists the concept of Kal Israel as a unit. And until Bnei Israel entered Eretz Israel, they were only Yechidim. And the original Brit, Har Sinai, was therefore a Brit with Yechidim. And that's why the first set of Tochacha, which is at the end of Basha Bechukotai, which is related, it's stapled to the, the Brit uh, of Sinai. So the Tochacha is in the plural because the plural means you're talking to a whole bunch of individuals. Everyone's spoken to. So we were all spoken to, but as, as individuals. The entity of Klal Israel was, was born only once Am Israel entered into Eretz Israel. Because only after Bnei Israel had a, had, a, had a national homeland could they attain the status of a nation. And so because this second Brit proclaimed in the singular was a Brit with the entire Jewish people, not as individuals, but as an entity, as a, as a gestalt, as a whole entity, therefore it remained binding that entity for all future generations who are part of the tzibur. And so you have, a, you know, Le Dugma, for example, a, a discussion with regard to international law. So when, you know, when a country makes a, a covenant with, uh, you know, with another country, so is that agreement that was made, you know, does that agreement change with, with presidents that replace the old president? You know, so when the country breaks the kind of Brit with another country, so is, is that Brit understood to be everlasting and it's binding on every new president that's elected and even on citizens who are born after the treaty was signed because the people are a continuation of the original nation. That's how certain Britots work. So it's an interesting question from a legal point of view. Do you say like this, can, can, uh, can a democracy, can a democracy by a democratic vote cancel out its democratic constitution? Let's say you have a whole bunch of people voting to cancel out, you know, um, there being a democracy. With that, with that whole order, well, you say no. You say, look, the the existential Brit that created, you know, this country is a democratic one, and therefore all people are bound by that because you're a continuation of the original entity that existentially made itself, you know, bound itself to um, a Brit called democracy. So. Uh, you know, that, that's one way of looking at a constitution. One could argue and say, maybe not. Maybe every single time, you know, a Brit is reset. And, you know, one, one, one president like Trump has a Brit with uh, Israel. And then maybe the next one can, you know, twist it and say, no, I don't want a, don't want a Brit with Israel. You know, this is a, an interesting question, the nature of these agreements that are made. So the question over here, you know, what, what, what do we get out of the fact that Akosh Baruch Hu created these opportunities, two separate opportunities, two separate Britot? You know, what was the, what was the point of it there? Well, you know, how, how did it work? So, Rav Salavetik had a chidush like this, that I, uh, I heard from Rav Shechter this, uh, 
this chidush that um, it's in one of his forum here that we have. Anyway, he he said like this. He said that Hashem um, wanted he Hashem wanted the Brit to be made by Moshe Rabbeinu specifically, as he was the Adon Neviim. On the other hand, he wanted it to be sealed in Eretz Israel, which binds everybody together and creates a tzibur of Klal Israel. So Moshe Rabbeinu was not able to enter Eretz Israel, and therefore the second Brit was begun by Moshe, but it was completed by you by Yeshua inside Israel on the occasion of the brachot and kalot and Har Grizim and, and Har Eval. So that way, the Brit was made with Bnei Israel as a tzibur, but it was but it was it started off with Moshe Rabbeinu as the greatest of all Nevi'im. So because Moshe Hashem wanted the Brit to be put together by Moshe Rabbeinu, he started it off, but to be completed, you know, as a result of, of, of Amishol entering into Eretz Yisrael, and Eretz Yisrael would now, you know, would be the coalescer of Klal Yisrael, to bring everybody everybody together. So that way the Brit was made with Bnei Yisrael as a tzibur uh, in connection with Amishol's entry into, into the land of Israel. And the Brit at Arvot Moav, and the Brit at Har Grizim and Har Eval, they're the same Brit. It's the same idea. Now, now what changed? So Moshe Rabbeinu had a Brit at Sinai, and 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 Am Yisrael had this new Brit when they came to Arvot Moav, uh, Har Grizim, and Har Eval. So what 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 are Locha, for example? What changed as a result of going from a Brit with individuals to a Brit with Kal Israel as an entity? So one of the interesting uh, principles that um, that that, that came to be or came into being as a result of Klal Yisrael being turned into a tzibur is one of the most famous principles that we are that we know from Pirkavot. You know, the concept of arvut. You know, all Jews are are co-responsible for one another. There's a, a shared responsibility regarding uh, you know every Jew on on on, a, on another Jew. Uh, and it, and it, uh, it reflects itself halachically. In other words, we are all responsible for one, for one another's mitzvah observance. So that when somebody doesn't know how to perform a particular mitzvah, so we, we can, even though we've discharged our own obligation, allows us, the fact that we are responsible for one another allows us to be see the person who doesn't know how to daven, for example. We can be moitzi that you know. So we can be a moitzi them the, the mitzvah. Now, how, you can only be moitzi somebody if there's a, a a so-called if you guarantor for you are an arave for that particular person. There's a kind of shared responsibility. So we each have a responsibility for every other yid's mitzvah observance, and that only began with with Amisrael's entry into the land. You know, so this uh, this principle um, is actually derived from a pasuk in Pashat Nitzavim, um, which is sort of a an adjunct to the Brit of Arvot Moav. So it's a, fa- a famous, well-known verse: Anistarot Hashem Kainu. You know, Amisrael's hidden Averot, Anistarot. They 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 Hashem knows what they are. Vaniglot lanul vaneinu adolam. Lasted called the Torah Azot. You know, but the, the the sins that are revealed are for us and our children forever. 
to work out how to do tshuva. And we've got a responsibility, la'asot at kol Now, the word la'asot has the connotation of uh, making sure others do the mitzvahs as well. So there's a communal responsibility um, for the mitzvot, for doing the mitzvot, and for the averot of each individual. There's a there's a famous um, a famous idea that uh, is well known as to the the as to why the dots uh, upon the upon the the words lanul vaneinu um, and and the ayin of the word ad the eleven dots above those words lanul vaneinu you know um, ad olam and the ayin of the ad that, what what are those dots all about? So it's as if the community becomes a rave, liable for such averot only once the nation crosses into Eretz Israel and accepted the brachot and klalot and har grizim and har eval. Before that point, each Jew was an individual Jew. You know, so it was, with, it was only with the entry into Eretz Israel that we became a real tzibur in which every Jew is responsible for the actions of his, uh, his, his fellow yid. That's how the Avner Nazar interprets the, this particular pasuk. Now, it's interesting that Rav Sadjagon, he, uh, he counts the episode of Har Grizim and Har Eval as one of the 613 mitzvot. Now, how, how on earth do you understand that? How do you understand that the episode is a, is a mitzvah? But, but this is the interesting point behind this over here. This event occurred once in the history of the world similar to Muhammad al-Sinai and the halachot that are associated with Muhammad al-Sinai would be classified as what we call a horat they temporary rulings not as mitzvot which by definition are binding on all future generations the brachot and kalot and harigrizim and harival you know really should be no different but however by telling us that um, this episode of harigrizim and harival is a mitzvah, it's, it's specifically because of the principle of Arvut. What Akash Baruch Hu was saying to Klal Israel, now set this episode up. I want you, half of you on this side, half of you on that side, Rachot, Klalot, you've got to answer Amen. What is Akash Baruch Hu doing? It wasn't just, you know, getting positioned for what's going to happen. This is like a mitzvah. It's an actual mitzvah. By doing this, you're going to achieve something. And, and, and the achievement is to turn Klal Yisrael uh, into a tzibur. And the, and the result of that, the corollary of turning Amishon into a tzibur, uh, out pops out of this uh, whole episode, the principle of Arvut, which was instituted and established you know, at that time. So in the Tochachah Parashat Bechukotai, you know, we find, as we said all before, you know, that we, we have a pasuk over there, you know, a man will stumble over his brother. That that seems to also convey the concept of arut. You know, ish You know that that we we co-responsible. So, but so what's the difference between that arut and the one that we had in in arut that's at at, uh, at arvot, arvot Moav? So yeah, sort of Aitik explained that this pasuk is a reference to the future destruction of the first Beit Hamikdash. And by that time, B'nai Israel would already have entered into Eretz Israel, where the rule of Arvut, of co-responsibility, would, would be operative. And, uh, and therefore, 
even though there is a concept of Arvut that's stated in the first Klalot, which are attached to Brit Sinai, but it's kind of a prophecy that this kind of co-responsibility will only take place, you know, in, in the future time, you know, when already there would be Arvut in, in, in place. Um, but, but really, the idea of Arvut, of co-responsibility, is a Chidush of Brit Arvut Moab. It's only at that point in time, and this explains why um, you have an interesting dialogue between Akosh Baruch Hu and, uh, and, and Hashem in the aftermath of the Korach rebellion. So Moshe Rabbeinu puts forth the argument, you know, uh, how's it go? Shall one man sin and you be angry with uh, the entire Eida? Now, what do you mean? That's exactly not what Arvut is. One person sins, then everybody's in it. <coughs> and yeah, the Pasuk says, Moshe Rabbein himself says to Hashem, Well, one person sin and you'll be angry with everybody. Of course you'll be angry with everybody. That's Arvut. So how can Moshe Rabbein say that? That that that, that, that so must be that that in that time there was no Arvut. And therefore Moshe Rabbein could say such a thing. It was a valid argument as a Horat Shah because Arvut did not begin at the time of the Tochachav Bechukotai. And therefore, Korach is an individual. And Moshe Rabbeinu argues, Akash Baruch why are other people being schlepped into the story? You know, he's just get the one guy who's guilty. Now, so Arvut only began with uh, the so-called Brit at Arvut Moab, Har Grizim and Har Eval. But once it began with, with that Brit, you could not offer such an argument uh, because one would be liable for the Avera, you know, of uh, of his neighbor. So this is a, you know, this is an important idea that uh, we're discussing over here is the nature of of this Brit Arvot Moav. It's a second Brit, and it it has a unique role to play in uh, you know in crystallizing the ent- the entity called Am Yisrael, the Knesset Israel. And and the vehicle through which it's achieved is is Eretz Israel. Eretz Israel is like the glue that creates uh, that creates this binding between all of Klal Israel. That we went from becoming individuals bound by a particular covenant, which uh, lasted only until we all passed away, or the the, the door day of the Midbar passed away, and 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 it wasn't binding on all future generations. That could also be a uh, an understanding of um, of what you know where we find the we find the following. This is a a, a, a controversial principle that uh, you know that that Russell would 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 uh, would say over. But it's interesting that how, if this if Eretz Yisrael is what is what is what is binds all of us together. So how does Aravut apply to a Jew in Chutzaretz? So it's interesting that Avnei Nezer explains, he has, a, he has a tshuva about this. He explains that the Jews in Chutzaretz who, who look toward Eretz Israel as their national homeland and subscribe to that ideal are also in a certain sense part of Klal Israel. Now, if you think about what he's saying over here, you know, you've got to wonder about the implications of such a, of such a statement. You know, if, uh, if you have a Yid who divorces himself from the concept of Eretz Israel, you know, then what you're basically saying is as follows, that you're not part of the Arvut of Klal Israel. 
because the concept of Eretz Israel is what binds everybody together. And this was the big, uh, this was the big Musa vote yeah, that was leveled at uh, the, audio, the competing ideologies in Europe um, when, when reform of Germany um, and then by extension, uh, those specifically in America, uh, the, these movements, one of the first things they did <coughs> was um, delete any mention of from the Siddur. And they basically, you know, the very famous words of the Mesha Chochma, who berates them, uh, those, you know, he refers to them as those people who call Berlin Yerushalayim. You know, in other words, that the Beit HaMikdash is a has-been and we've got no connection to it. Officially, it's in their constitution. And the return to Israel is something that we don't foresee and don't want any part of. And so they they separate themselves from um, from na- the nationhood of Klal Israel. In, in a sense, they're a cultural religion. They, you know, they, they, they're not a nation. They're a religion. This is one of the major um, telling points of... Uh, you know, philosophically, it was very hard for, for, for Jews and non-Jews to digest this story. There's a very famous, um, there's, there's, there's a famous historical episode in Europe under Napoleon, where Napoleon convenes a, a, a quasi-Sanhedrin, you know, and he invites people to join the Sanhedrin. And they had to answer certain questions about the nature of Jews, how they see themselves, you know, and part of it was, Part of it was focused on, you know, is the Jew a loyal citizen of France? You know, where's your homeland? And so part of the question was, you know, are you a nation or are you a religion? And, and you know, each, each sort of ideological uh, sect within Klal Israel had to answer this question. And it wasn't so easy to answer. So for those people who said, look, the reform movement, the reform movement basically said, we're not a nation, you know, we are Jews of the mosaic persuasion, you know, we are Germans of the mosaic persuasion. We are, we are people who don't have a nation. We divorced from nationhood. Eretz Israel is not part of this, is not part of our ideology. And therefore, reform basically, until after 67, you know, really did not have much what to do about Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael. They, they, they never played a role. And in fact, the opposite. In 1948, where different political and religious bodies were, were, were expressing their opinion and voting in various forums with regard to the establishment of Am Yisrael, you know, the State of Israel, they vote, the reform movement voted against the establishment of the State of Israel. Because in their constitution, they, they didn't see the value of Eretz Yisrael. They didn't see how to play a role, you know, in uh, in in the so-called uh, religious culture of um, of of the future of Kali Israel. I mean, you know, to go to to go and be, to think in those days to think of backward Israel where there wasn't enough food and everybody's on rations and there's like there aren't even isn't proper eggs just, or milk powder, egg powder, you know, people living in tents. There was no that that whole scene of Israel all the way from the 1800s all the way through until modern times that that that's that's where the future of the Jewish people is that that's where it's going to be it's impossible both both practically and ideologically it's impossible 
you know, we are light unto the nations by staying in the exile. And, uh, you know, that kind of a, a approach, it's all, we, we're going to be a, a, you know, a citizen of the world. You know, that's exactly what happened. So, you know, 1948, you're just surviving compared to the Jews in America. The Jews in Israel are like their, you know, their poor backward cousins. You know, by 67, even though we weren't exactly uh, running a top ship at that point in time, but already by 67, you know, people start to realize, you know, that that that, that the Medinas had to stay. And everything starts to change from that point on. And, uh, you know, look, it didn't come as a big story, but they started to soften their approach toward Israel. You know, but they didn't, they still didn't take part in, you know, in, in seeing Israel as something. No, part of their uh, ideology is to reform. So now they reform. Now they want to, you know, they want members of Knesset, you know, to represent them and they want to come and set up, you know, Boketov, you know, Yoram, you know, now you wake up and you want to do something. But until then, they, you know, they, they, uh, from their Sidur, there's no mention of Eretz Israel there. And once they severed their ties to, to Eretz Israel, so they remove themselves from the entity of Kali Israel. It's not just a political statement. This is our But anybody who, who considers themselves to be out of place in Galut, even if you're having a good time, yeah. But out of Eretz Israel, you know that this is not the place to be. You know that in the end of the day, you know, you know, the, you know, you you, you realize that, that Kali Israel can only really fully develop, uh, you know, in Eretz Israel. So even if you're living outside of Eretz Israel, you still attach yourself to the binding koyach of, of Eretz Israel. And, and that way, you're still part of the Arvot Moav, the Brit Arvot Moav. And, uh, and therefore, what, uh, what, you know, you still consider to, um, to be part of the principle of Arvot and uh, whatever, whatever, whatever it implies. And that's, um, so this is the, really the, the, the Chidush of um of this of this week's sedra and the concept of 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 brit moav that there's a all of a sudden a concept called arvut which derives out of it um and uh you know and and it has it has a lachic connotations to the way we um to the way we uh we keep mitzvot and 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 the way we the way we try and help other people fulfill um fulfill the mitzvot as well so, um, you know, this is this concept of Arvut comes out of this Brit. Now, it's interesting that that part of this covenant, the way that it was, let's call it, uh, cemented here, is um, is is possibly through the you know understanding a uh, another aspect of what happened there um, regarding the brachot and klalot of Hargrizim and Harayval, um, and that is Moshe Rabbeinu's you know, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu's command to, through the Zakanim to, to Am Yisrael to write a Sefer Torah on stones, you know, at Harayval. Um, and, and there was a korban there that was brought as well uh, as part of the Simcha of this, of this, of this covenant. Um, now, that, you know, the, um, th this, this particular this particular story uh, we mentioned before that um, the the Bahag is is Rav Sajigon we quoted before the Bahag you know he he he, he also counts um, the mit the mitzvah concerning Har Eval as part of the mitzvahs and 
and the, and the Ramban tries to explain, you know, his position. And so he suggests that although we were explicitly to commanded to draw a boundary around Har Sinai uh, and to prepare to receive the Torah over there, you know, again, says the Ramban, those measures had no lasting effect and are considered temporary obligations. And therefore, that whole preparation of Har Sinai doesn't count as one of the 613 mitzvot. But writing the Torah on the stones, by contrast, that when you write the Torah on those stones there, that that is to, you know, that's to remain for, with us forever. And and the brachot and klalot uh, entail an internally binding acceptance of, of Torah. So although there's no specific action that we were required to perform, uh, you know, at that point in time, um, the fact that the mitzvot would have a lasting effect, as we've explained until now, the Ramban brings this idea to try and understand, you know, the position of the Bahag, you know, who counts it among the, you know, the 630 mitzvot, just as, as Rav Sadja also includes this mitzvah to establish this Brit of Brachot and Klalot in his list of, uh, of, of Tayag mitzvot. So, um, you know, this, so this is, this is uh, again, this idea is, is brought up a number of times and the, some of the early Rishonim and Goinim already are, are, you know, are looking at this interesting concept of this episode in, you know, in, in, incorporating a mitzvah that, uh, that this principle really generates a type of arvut and a, a, a binding covenant for all future, for all future gener generations. So, um, you know, the, this this principle of arvut it's very interesting there's a, a basic question that 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 uh, we need to ask with regard to this nature of the of arvut you know does the concept of arvut constitute a separate individual mitzvah or should it be viewed as a broad overarching principle because there are many people that don't count the rambam doesn't count this this uh, story of uh, har eval as a, a separate independent mitzvah so, uh, you know, how do you, how do you see this? Because maybe you could argue that any, the acceptance of any mitzvah automatically includes an obligation of Arevut with respect to that mitzvah. And therefore, Arevut is not an independent mitzvah, but rather a feature common to, to all mitzvot. And, uh, and this is what, you know, possibly the Gemara in Masechet Sotah Lamed Zion states that each mitzvah includes, you know, 600,000 covenants as each member of Klal Yisrael bears responsibility, not only for himself, but for the entire Jewish nation as well. Now, the, one, what you say, what's the nafkamina between how you see this arevut? We know we're all co-responsible, but is it a, an overarching principle like we've described until now? You know, or it's, it's built into all the mitzvot that exist. So what, you'd say, what's the nafkamina? Well, the question is, there are certain, certain mitzvot which apply only to men and not to women. And so one of the nafkaminas of this question involves the status of women with regard to Arevut. So famous Gemara Masechet Brachot there the Gemara discusses whether women are included in the, in the mitzvah doraita of Birkat Mazon, or, or, you know, maybe they're only obligated mid uh, Rabbanan. And um, that particular question it, where a woman can recite Birkat Hamazon uh, on behalf of men, 
So if the Torah exempts women from Birkat Amazon, then they can't say it on behalf of a man because the level of obligation is not the same. Um, and that may be how we need to look at it. Now, the Rosh basically took this to mean that the concept of Arevut does not apply to women. Now, generally, he writes that a, a person included in a given mitzvah, even Midrabanan, you know, can be can can uh, can perform it on behalf of somebody who's uh, included on the level of a um, on a, on a Torah level as well. So, you know, if, if if for example, if a person you know comes home from shul Friday night and um, you want to say, well, I want to make kiddush, I want to make kiddush for for everybody. Um, but but you just daven Mariv in Shul. And by davening Mariv, you mentioned in the Shemona Esrei, you know, you mentioned um, the concept of Shabbos. And by saying something unique about Shabbos, Midoraita, you fulfilled your mitzvah of Kiddush. Now you come home, you want to make Kiddush for everybody. Um, but everybody who never went to Shul is not ob is, is obligated Midoraita. And you only obligated Midrabanan. You know, another example of a person only eats a man who only eats a, a you know, a, a minimal amount of food. And that amount of food obligates you only on a level of, of Chazal to recite the Birkat Amazon. You know, what about somebody who ate a, a big meal where you have to be satisfied? And that quantity allows you to make or requires you to make Birkat Amazon Midoraita. So the concept of Arevut means that there's co-responsibility one toward the other. And then, even though the the obligations are on different levels, you know, can you still, for, you know, help the other person fulfill uh, the obligation, even if yours is on a lower level? So this is a whole big discussion there with regard to to be moitzi other people uh, mitzvot, and the rosh thinks you can do that. But the question is, you know, women, however, do not bear an obligation of of arevut, um, and therefore maybe they don't fulfill a mitzvah on behalf. Of those people with a higher level of obligation in that particular mitzvah. Now, the 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 there were chronim who understood this literally that that they interpreted this to mean that the concept of arevut does not apply to women at all. And um, you know, he he raised the notibuda raised the possibility that that men might not bear the responsibility of arevut with respect to women. Whereas Rabbi Akiva Ege argued the point and he rejected this interpretation of the Rosh. And he understood the Rosh to mean that Arevut does not apply regarding a mitzvah that one is not obligated to perform. Only when a person is individually obligated in a given mitzvah do you become obligated through Arevut to help others perform that particular mitzvah. And therefore, if women are not publicly required to say Birkat Amazon, they have no obligation of Arevut for that mitzvah and therefore cannot fulfill the obligation on behalf of those included in the obligation. But regarding, however, those mitzvot that obligate, obligate both men and women, like Kiddush, then this, the specific point of debate between the Nodabiura and Rabbi Kivaiga, Arevut applies to women as much as, as to men. Anyway, this, this big machloket between the Nodabiura and Rabbi Kivaiga, uh, it, it clearly hinges on this, on this hakir, on, on the analysis that we brought up before on this question of whether Arevut constitutes an independent mitzvah or is simply part of the specific mitzvah involved. According to the concept of Arevut exists within every single mitzvah, and thus everyone included in a given mitzvah bears uh, the responsibility, the obligation of Arevut concerning that particular mitzvah. You know, that's that's how 
we we would understand it. And this perspective, you know, resolves part of the this issue about you know the mitzvah of arevut. Yeah, generally there's no specific mitzvah of arevut. It's part and parcel of each and individual everybody's individual mitzvah. So this is the question on those going in that listed it as a separate mitzvah. If Rav Sadja listed an independent mitzvah of arevut incumbent upon the community at large, you must refer to a special type of arevut, separate and apart from the standard obligation that applies to every individual concerning every mitzvah. And Rav Sadja would have to say that there's a unique obligation cast upon the community leaders to work towards ensuring that the nation is compliant with all with the, with the mitzvot. And so this is, a, you know, this is a way of unpacking the nature of this particular concept called Arevut. How does it work? So what we know is, is that the concept only begins when Amishal enter into Israel. There's a, there's a covenant, a Brit, a second Brit, which is, which is responsible for Arevut. And the vehicle by which we are bound together, you know, is Eretz Israel. And the, and the unique nature of this second covenant was it bound everybody for all generations, you know, to the principles of Torah. And it allowed us now to be co-responsible for, for one another. And the, and the nature of that co-responsibility, you know, is what we're sort of discussing now at, at, you know, at the end here. We're trying to work out what's the nature of this Arevut. How does it apply? And uh, so there are different ways of interpreting on what level it applies. If there's a mitzvah that's obligatory on all of us, so both men and women are obligated in the mitzvot of Shabbat, and uh, both men and women are obligated in the mitzvah of Kiddush, then no matter who's on what level, everybody's co-responsible for one another to, to, to fulfill that mitzvah. But if you're talking about a potential mitzvah where there's no obligation on the woman to do the mitzvah, you know, and there's, and there's, a, mitzvah, and there's a mitzvah on the man, so for a woman to volunteer the mitzvah, and then in through the principle of Arevut, try and be moitzia, a man in that particular mitzvah, that is a harder uh, concept to join together because there was no obligation in the first place. And that seems to point to, if you hold like that, that seems to point to the idea of Arevut being very specific. It's a concept that is a general concept, but it has very specific connotations as it applies to everyone's co-responsibility with regard to, to mitzvot. Um, in fact, uh, the Meiri brings that that the, the whole idea of uh, the, the judges within Tal Yisrael, the Tamidah Chachomim, uh, that you know, have a responsibility as leaders of the people to make sure to check and inquire about the actions of their, of their town. Because everybody has arevut toward one another. So in, a, in addition to the general obligation of arevut, there exists a specific obligation of arevut incumbent upon leaders. And this obligation may perhaps be counted as an independent mitzvah. So you have, you, you have this, we're trying to resolve why some people counted it as a special mitzvah, specific mitzvah, independent mitzvah, and other Rishonim never counted it at all. They definitely hold of the concept because it's in the world of Aloha. But why didn't you count it as a, a, a specific independent mitzvah? And uh, what, we've, what we've just brought out over here um, tries to show that, uh, you know, there may, no, there may, be, there may not be a, an independent specific mitzvah, just a, a general overarching concept. 
But others would argue and say, no, it depends on the relationship between Klal Yisrael and each other with regard to each specific mitzvah. You've got to have an obligation in order to be part of the, of, of the equation. So this is kind of a Lomdisha approach to try and at least uh, understand a little of what it means, this mitzvah of, or this concept of Arevut. So um, anyway, so I'll, I'll leave it with you there. And uh, if any questions, you're welcome to shout out. Otherwise, uh, wish you all a, a good Shabbos. And uh, hopefully we hear good news over the next week. And uh, we can somehow create a, a Tzila B'Tzibur in, uh, in the park of some, or, or outside somewhere. In the meantime, I've sent out uh, on our WhatsApps exactly what's available for Slichot Motzei Shabbos, the various Zoom in Yonim. And, uh, I will clarify uh, for those who are going to do it on their own what they can and can't say. And hopefully during the week, uh, we'll uh, keep our ears open to try and see what uh, is able to be achieved vis-a-vis -vis Rosh Hashanah itself. Okay, so have a have a great Shabbos. And, uh, wow, thank you very much. How do we get on to the WhatsApp group? Um, I, can, I can just join you up if you want. Yes, please, if you can. Okay, not a problem. No problem. All right, Shkoya. Shkoya. Thank you very Thanks, much. No worries. Take care. Cheers. Cheers. Rabbi Blackman, what happens with shofar uh, blowing if we are stuck at home? I mean, I can blow my own shofar, but other people who can't. Um, I'm hoping that uh, the problem will be resolved. Uh, you know, we can do it outside in, in small groups. But even if we don't get um, the minimum where five and five can join, but we could work out a way that certain times people can be at certain places and somebody will blow the shofar there. So if you've got two people that are sort of exercising together and we get them to stop exercising for a minute, so then maybe we could, maybe we could do something along those lines. You know, maybe you, you know, maybe we'd have to work our way into that. But hopefully, I think we might be able to get somewhere where it'll be a little bit easier. But um, yeah, it, it is a story. So, Rabbi, last year in Melbourne, yeah, they, they drew up a roster where they had two people, the Tokea and the Baal Tokea, going around. You had to sign up on a roster for a particular time. And at that time, they came and knocked on your door and you went outside your door and the, they blew in the street outside your front door. And they had groups of people walking around the streets to wherever you, to wherever if anybody had signed up. And they went all around Melbourne like that, which was all organized by the Beth Din, apparently, or the Rabbinical Council of Victoria or something like that. Yeah, so hopefully, uh, well, yeah, we'll need to do that. I think, I think at this stage, if the rules don't change at all, you, we may be, um, I don't know if you're allowed two people together if you're not exercising. I, I, don't, I, don't, 
I'm I'm not on top of that properly, but um, well, I, I mean, it is, you know, but I, but I, but I agree with you. In other words, they would you'd have to do something like that. Yeah, well, I assume they got an exemption for them to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we'll see. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, pos I'm optimistic. I think we'll, I think we'll get somewhere. Well, I think we'll get somewhere. Um, because I think, I think once, once the, once the government has agreed to, um, you know, to to downgrade the level of rest of restrictions where they themselves have come up with this idea of five and five. Uh, and even though it's going to happen a week later, then we need it to happen. But but it means it's you know the ingredients are in the pot. You just have to switch on the fire. You know what I mean? So if we can try and ignite the the principle to, because I mean, I mean you know unless I I haven't understood understood it properly, it's really it's not anymore about the sakana of the corona, you know the week before to the week after. No one's got that kind of ability to say, well, at this point, it's going to be not that dangerous. At this point, it's dangerous. It's much more in my understanding of it. It's much more a logistic issue. You have to create some sort of boundary between yes and no. Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But yes. but, I, but I think that that's what it is. If, if the understanding is correct, that they, they just need a way, they just need to be pushed to make that kind of boundary come sooner, you know, then... Uh, I think there's, there's, you know, especially if you present it in such a way that I'm, that, that I know that Rabonim are doing that, you know, we're different from everybody else. We can't, uh, we can't experience our, our religious obligations through Zoom. We have to, you know, and, you know, we'll do it in such a way that there will be groups outside who will be all vaccinated and, you know, and, and masks and the whole spiel, right? I've, 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 it sounds like to me that there's room for this thing to work, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic that something will come. But if not, we'll have to make a plan. Mm -hmm. And is somebody working on it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, everybody. This is in everybody's interest, you know, in the Jewish community. Yeah. You know? So everyone else needs it. I mean, okay, those who can use Zoom. You know, if reform can use Zoom, they might not be as motivated. And therefore, you know, people might have the choice and say, look, Corona is dangerous. We don't have any Sakana, whatever. Everybody to their own. But, but no from yet is going to come along and say, look, you know, I really believe that uh, the Sakana now is, is different, you know, on the 13th of September compared to the 6th or 7th of September, whenever Rosh Hashanah is. So I think that I think a, a good argument can be made. It's just that the you know the, the government has to be pushed to create that particular demarcation in in time. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's. I think that I think the irony of it all to me is that uh, is that it's the severity of the virus that caused the change in attitude because every the entire time that you were, you were thinking that we could beat it and we could get down to zero. So you have to do everything in your power to lock down everybody. But the minute you gave up on that strategy and said, we're not going to beat it by getting it down to zero, we'll never get it down to zero. We have to learn to live with it. And that'll be the best way to do that is through vaccinations. So the severity of the virus changed the attitude. And with a change in the attitude, you've got to like open up slower and slower, motivate more vaccines. 
And that's what probably gave us the, the out. Anyway, you know, that's the way I sort of look at it. But yeah, let's hope that, uh, let's hope there's something that works for us. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's hope. Yeah, I don't feel like walking up the hill. But uh, <laughs> so we'll have to. Where are you, Megan? You're halfway up the hill, no? <laughs> halfway up, yes. Halfway yeah, between us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And anyway, look, we'll make a plan. I think. Uh, I think it'll be good. I think uh, you know, outside people outside will be good. Mm. Even if it's just to you know for two days, you know. Yeah. Um, for at least for the blowing, but. We need the we need the we need a minion we need a minion for Yom Kippur. I mean, That's probably be easier to be Korea uh, Bishtachave in Barraclough Park, but then uh, sure. But um, you know, yeah. please God, the weather will hold, so you can have a safe Torah out there for a little bit. You know, it'll be I, interesting. That's not going to happen. I don't think so. Eh? No, I don't think so. Oh, well, listen, gotta be gotta be optimistic. <laughs> You better daven hard on Rosh Hashanah. Yeah, I'm going to blow like hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, I tell you, we spend hours working out how we're going to, you know, rewrite the machzor. And I tell you, I don't know, I, I, I can't breathe anymore with this stuff. But there's so many. And every time you almost get to a conclusion of right, we've got a new machzor waiting for everybody. The next thing, five and five. So, you know, at, at, you know, all your work goes to zero because we're not optimistic that we're going to get there, you know, but uh, I guess some people have to be realists also and, you know, anyway, so at the moment, look, you know, we've spent hours trying to work out how we're doing Shlichot on Zoom and, uh, you know, maybe that maybe maybe that will be a little toilet, you know. Okay. Rav, I don't think your miser will go to waste because not everybody will make the five and five. True, true. Yeah. Yeah, no, look. I'm scared to put this Zorim into print because uh, next year they're going to come with it to Jules. They're come up with a fantastic Mazor. <laughs> Why don't we use it this year? Yeah. yeah. That's all missing. Forget the PUT, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this blow only 30 sounds, not 100. Yeah, 30 sounds, yeah. Uh, Everyone leaves for the second half. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, no worries. Okay, thank right. you. Bye. Thanks. Have Bye. a great time. I had a, I had a quick question. If there's a second, I don't know. Yeah. So I was discussing with a friend. Um, let's say someone, for whatever reason, didn't have a sukkah, couldn't sit in a sukkah, couldn't have access to a sukkah. It was illegal. So then, finds a cholamoy doesn't even the sukkah. He's married, so let's say he doesn't sleep in the sukkah. So what about a nyontif? Is um, so there's you got you got diametrically opposed issues because on the one hand you have a mitzvah to wash, particularly on the first night, um, and otherwise you have a mitzvah sort of. But but that obligation, it's in a way, is it forbidden to fulfill that obligation outside the sukkah, or um, is it independent? What what would, what would be then? You mean because you anus because of Corona? What do you do with eating in in inside? Yeah, meaning should you wash? 
yeah, that I mean, you, you you'd assume that um, would mean that um, you have no liability. The mitzvah of sukkah, you have no liability for violating it. And but therefore, you should you use... should you actively, let's say, okay, excluding let's say the first night, but on first day on should you wash? Yeah, I would, I would think so. But then, what what I'm saying is, once you're washing, now you have an obligation to eat in the sukkah, which you're not fulfilling. It's like, yeah, but it's almost like wearing a four corner garment and not wearing tits on it. Don't wear it. You can't. Yeah, but that's the idea of honest. You can't. You know, you but can't. No one's forcing you to eat bread. You no. are the mitzvah's forcing you to eat bread. So what I'm asking is, it a mitzvah that comes with an with an avera? No, because they're two separate things. I think that you know, a mitzvah by avera means that 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 the avera basically is the is the cause of the is the cause of the mitzvah, or you know, it's the way you fulfill the mitzvah. Yeah, you've got like two chiyuvim. You've got a chiyuv to eat al siyontif lechem mishnah, and you've got a chiyuv to sit in the sukkah or not eat outside the sukkah. You've got two components with sukkah. To eat it and not to eat out of it. The one to eat in it is only for the first day, two days. And the one not to eat out of it is, is the, rest of the, the rest of the time. But the whole mitzvah of sukkah is, uh, you know, has been neutralized. And so why would you do, why would you neutralize both chiyuvim instead of just neutralizing one? Well, well the question is, if so, well, I think just a general question is in Londres, if you ate bread outside the sukkah, let's say first day yontif, have you violated something or you've merely just not done the kiyum hamitzvah of eating in the sukkah? Yeah, well, throughout all of sukkahs, if a person eats outside the sukkah, you violated something. Or have you just missed out on assay of it? No, there's no assay to sit in the sukkah. Um, there's no assay to sit in the sukkah uh, shivat yamim. It's just a lot of assay to sit outside. Is it? But isn't the command to sit in the sukkah? Yeah, but uh, what, it, what it means is, is that the dafka on, on the the first night, when it's the first two days, then there's a mitzvah to eat inside the sukkah, and you have to you have you have to do that mitzvah. Um, the rest of sukkahs, if you don't want to, you don't have to. But if you do, you makayim the mitzvah. It's like matzah on Pesach. You have to eat the matzah on the first two nights, and the rest of it you don't have to eat matzah. But if you do, you can be Makai Mitzvah. So if it's just a Durabanam to eat bread on first day Yontif, why would that override a prohibition of eating outside the sukkah? Because it could be there's no prohibition. It could be that the whole mitzvah is neutralized. It could be that the honest completely, you know, neutralizes something. If you could be that you've researched it, you might find people who hold like what you're saying. You might find people who say that that uh, don't you know don't do it. My gut feel is that uh, you know you've got a chiyuv to have lechem mishnah on on yontif, 
It is interesting that, I don't know, is this year on Shabbos? Uh, Shabbos would be make the question sharper, you know, but um, because Lecha Mishnah on a Yontif is the law plug from Shabbos. You know, Lecha Mishnah is only a law plug, which would make your question stronger on Yontif, you know. Is the, it, when you say do you mean that there's no longer a chiyuv in the mitzvah? The mitzvah no longer exists? Or do you say, no, the mitzvah exists, but as long as the person is honest, he's not liable for violating it. But the chiyuv still exists. So if the corona would disappear, you know, or the, you know, you'd have to go back into the sukkah and do it again. You know, or do you say, no, the whole mitzvah was literally... You know, Mufka, it's like, you know, in your case, the mitzvah is not even there. That would be the way, that would be the hakira on this question that you ask. Mm. So, you know, you might, it might be interesting to find people who take, take different positions on this, on this Indian. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think we've had this kind of Shiloh, right? I mean, even during Corona, what, what would be the problem? No, well, let's say, uh, like a friend of mine said, he's, he lives in an apartment block, and a lot of people who live in apartment blocks, you know, they'll use, you know, typically they'll use sukkah at shul, etc. But Ah, uh, see. So he's got nowhere to put a sukkah. So he can go to his parents, but it's illegal. Let's say, I don't know, maybe today it was a little Right. So if it's illegal for him to go to his parents... Yes, I've got my kids have this problem. Their apartment strata have refused to allow them to put up a sukkah this year because of COVID. And they're not legally allowed to come here. They've got a big problem. Interesting. But the, I mean, it, it's not such a problem in the sense that you patur. I mean, you, you, you know, you... You were honest, even in a regular weekday on a, on a regular sukkah, when everything was normal and you have to go to work in the city, you know, and you can't get to a sukkah. So you, you eat, right? But there you eat without, you don't eat bread. So you don't get into trouble. You sort of, because there's no mitzvah to eat in the sukkah. The only mitzvah is, you know, not to eat outside of it. But if you can't, so if you can't help it, okay, so you eat outside. So then, you, you know, during a, regular weekday you'd say okay so don't eat bread because that's a violation but yeah but honest um i mean yeah we could we could uh interesting to see if on yontif where you have a competing mitzvah or you've got an additional mitzvah even if it's the mitzvah drabanan um since you've got you you're completely exempt from going into the sukkah you know, you can uh, you can still eat. What what happens on a regular first night sukkahs or second night sukkahs when the rain hits? What happens? We don't tell people not to eat bread in bad, or we have a machlokes about it at least. You know, you, you say to somebody, go inside and, and and bench there or carry on your meal over there. But I don't think you tell people don't eat a kazite of bread. You know, I think you putter, so you putter. Mm. But uh, look, you know, instead of uh, instead of guessing, we can look it up. We can see what uh, what people say on this particular Indian. You know, if uh, if I find it, I'll uh, I'll post it. Mm.
I can yeah. uh, once I can quickly have a look if you want, but uh, anyway, um, let me just see quickly. Well, I can see, you know, just in this particular cipher, a whole bunch of everyone's asking the same question. Um, but it's, but but regarding sukkah, I don't see. I'll have to look further. Hmm. Yeah. All right. I'll uh, I'll look up to see what somebody says explicitly. All right. Yeah. Okay. Shkoyach. <laughs>